Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It will be the strangest European Championships on record, won't it? No fans in some places, some fans in others, but still... The spectacle continues in adversity of this global pandemic. This is the very third Euro Daily podcast. I am Jake from What If Football. This is episode three of the Euro Daily podcast, and today we are ending the group previews with Group E, with Group F. This podcast goes out not only on our podcast feed on Apple, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, but also on Patreon, where we have got a new Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash What If Football. Seven days a week content after the Euros on there. We have a wee break around Christmas, but seven days a week, 50 weeks a year. Contemporary football podcasts, nostalgic podcasts in head-to-heads, great games, football manager content as well. Give us a like, give us a subscribe, five-star review on the podcast feed if you like. And uh, of course, we do welcome donations. If you can stretch to it, of course, we would be greatly appreciative of that. Let's get stuck in to today's show. And when we look at Group E, we have to look at Spain. We have to look at Luis Enrique, who has returned as Spanish manager after leaving for personal reasons. He has since sacked Roberto Moreno, his uh, former assistant and ex-interim manager, whilst he was gone for being unloyal, stroke disloyal, of course. And some of the key players for Spain are now Eimerick Laporte and Pau Torres at centre-half for Spain with Sergio Ramos left out through injury or lack of match fitness. Sergio Busquets, who has suffered from uh, COVID-19, is in a race to be fit. Meanwhile, Coque, Thiago and Alvaro Morata are one of the key players in this Spanish lineup. How did they get here? Well, with a qualification group featuring the likes of Norway, Sweden and Romania, they all took points off of each other and Spain relatively coasted into qualification for this tournament. Their only blips being 1-1 draws in Scandinavia, dropping four points in total in a really, really smooth sailing qualification campaign for the Spanish. 
Spain qualified in October with a month in advance and will play in the Nations League finals in October with the pick of the results being a 6-0 humdinger against Germany on the way to winning that group. They will play the likes of Belgium, France and Italy perhaps in the uh, Nations League in October. They started steadily in the World Cup qualification campaign, beating Kosovo and Georgia and drawing at home to Greece and uh, Sweden will almost be a decider in Stockholm in their first match post-Euros and of course they play Spain in this championship and of course played Spain in qualification for this championship. Spain are the joint most decorated team in European Championships history and that is thanks due to their role in the uh, late 2000s, early 2010s. But first we have to look at the 1964 tournament, don't we, where they beat Ireland in a qualifying playoff and then beat Hungary after extra time and Soviet Union, the defending champions no less, in the final to win the very first European Championship. They wouldn't qualify again for another 16 years and they were funneled into a group containing Italy, Belgium and England and as we know from the previous two days of uh, Euro Daily podcasts that we've done, Belgium would win that group and go on to the final. Meanwhile, Spain would bow out at the group stages. They would go one better though, four years on, reaching the final of Euro 1984, beating Germany in an all or nothing tie in the group stages whilst drawing to Romania, whilst drawing to Portugal. They would draw again in the semi-finals to Denmark, but a Prebenelkia penalty was missed for Denmark and Spain would march on to a second European Championships final, but of course were at the mercy of one Michel Platini who scored his ninth goal in the European Championships that summer and France ran out winners in Paris. Spain returned though four years later in 1988 would bow out in the group, a group of death maybe perhaps with um, Italy, Germany, West Germany and Denmark. Spain would miss the European Championships in 92 but would be back in 1996 suffering the ignominy of going out on penalties to England which is not ignominious anymore is it after uh, the World Cup in 2018. The quarterfinals would be the same result in 2000, missing out to uh, Mercurials in a Dean Zidane performance in uh, Belgium and the Netherlands there after scraping through a group thanks to a, a 4-3 win over Yugoslavia. It is around this time that Spain were adopting the uh, tag of Bridesmaids Never the Brides, going out in the groups of the 98 World Cup, going out to South Korea in the quarterfinals of the World Cup in 2002 and in 2004 it was a group stage exit again despite beating Russia, despite drawing to Greece. But of course, Greece would win that tournament and Portugal would meet Greece in the final and Spain would lose to Portugal in the final group game where a win could have changed things very differently. There's a what if for you. But we go to 2008, we go to 2012. Spain had won a second European Championships in 2008, thrashing Russia, beating Sweden, Greece, overcoming a penalty hoodoo against Italy, overcoming Italy as well. Uh, thrashing Russia again in the semi-finals before a Fernando Torres clipped goal wins the uh, their second European Championships. They would face Italy, bookending the uh, 2012 European Championships. Italy, uh, a big name for Spain in terms of European Championships over the past three editions at least. A 1-1 draw would be coupled with a 4-0 final hammering back there in uh, in Warsaw. And uh, back there in Kiev, rather, and uh, a 4-0 win. Fernando Torres took home the golden boot and Spain had won the European Championship for a second successive time. Three trophies in a row. No team has ever done either of those things. And Spain were on the lookout for a third European Championship in a row, which, of course, they wouldn't win because of a last 16 exit to, of course, Italy. Bonucci, 
Capella scoring the goals. Italy marched on. Spain were out, and we are in a bit of a slump now for Spain since winning the Euros in twenty twelve. Spain have gone out in the groups. Have gone out in the last sixteen twice. So, will they bounce back? Well, they've got great depth, but deciphering, as you've seen in the the team preview video, which will uh, be up tonight. Deciphering in eleven is very very hard. Kepa Arriva Balaga has been left out with me having uh, uncapped Brighton goalie Roberto Sanchez, the third goalie behind David De Gea and Unai Simon. Simon um, has usurped De Gea. He seems to have got a bit of a clangor in him, but his uh, distribution is miles better than De Gea's. He, Luis Enrique is sort of wavering on his number one. Called up Sanchez in qualifiers in March. Didn't play Sanchez, um, but he has gone with Sanchez again as opposed to... Uh, Kepa Arifa Balaga. Now at right back, Enrique has made another seemingly bizarre decision in Jesus Navas has been snubbed despite having great metrics, great passing, crossing, progressive carries and one of the finest right backs. Uh, enjoying a fine Indian summer to his career. He's been snubbed. Uh, meanwhile, Cesar Aspilicueta has enjoyed obviously a fantastic season with Chelsea. He's returned and probably will be the right back, although Marcus Lorente could also play right back in there as well. In terms of centre-half, Luis Enrique didn't select Sergio Ramos because he's not match-fit. He didn't select 26 players either, or a Real Madrid player, which leaves us with Pau Torres, who is in form, coming off the back of a Europa League win, and Eimerick Laporte, who has just got his Spanish passport. And you got to infer that bringing Laporte in like this last minute, it means that he will start because you don't go to the lengths to get someone, essentially sign a player, so then just not play him over a, what is essentially a seven-game shootout to win. There are only six survivors from the 2018 World Cup, one of which, Jordi Alba, and he will probably rotate with Jose Gaia on that left-hand side. Both can get up and down that left flank quite offensively, really. And um, we have got a bit of a weakness with Marcus Lorente. Of course, he's out of position. He's a bit of a utility man, really. He was out of position for the uh, Georgia goal in World Cup qualification. Might be a weakness. And... Um, Spain do play through the channels with Alba and Navas, obviously. Neither, look, neither could start, really. Um, Navas, as I say, he's got the second most crosses in Europe into the penalty area. And in terms of central defenders, Pau Torres is probably up there with Frankie de Jong and Ruben Diaz for uh, carrying the ball out. Of course, Frankie de Jong will probably play midfield in this tournament. Now, in central midfield, the... Uh, the three, it could be any one of three really. Sergio Busquets' final tournament looks like it could be rocked by a COVID infection and his captaincy will uh, transform to somebody else and you'd likely see Rodri come in. You've got similar numbers of very similar players. Rodri's got a bit um, bit more vibrancy about him with obviously more youthful legs. Uh, Koke returned to the fold quite well and then you've got Tiago, the past master himself, Pedri's played his way well into contention, obviously one of the beneficiaries of this uh, tournament's postponement, really, because Pedri has been in fantastic form for um, for Barcelona. In terms of the front three, it seems fairly settled, to be fair, as opposed to the rest of the team, which looks like uh, a hodgepodge of completely different players. Ferran Torres, he was used for right wing in the March international window, um, is probably holding off uh, Mikel Ariafabel. Um, Fran Torres is fantastic uh, from the cutting in from the right wing role. Could easily play in a forced nine as he has done for Manchester City, but it looks as though it will be Alvaro Morata or arguably more informed Gerard Moreno up front on his own. Morata missed chance after chance against Portugal. Um, 
he does need a few chances to go his way to score, but it could easily be one of Murata or Marino. Equally, could be both with Olmo, Danny Olmo at left wing being sacrificed. But I can't see Moreno and Murata both playing unless they're getting quite desperate, which Spanish teams never tend to do, really. I'd probably have Danny Olmo at left wing. He can go all the way back to left back if he, if Spain need it, but it looks as though it will be Torres, Olmo and Murata in that three Olmo is creative, he's flexible, he plays for RB Leipzig, he has to be flexible. Um, he can cut in primarily from his left. The goal, for example, against Kosovo in March was superb. And um, in terms of taking the penalties, which, you know, Spain have got quite the history with penalties, who's going to take on the mantle of Sergio Ramos, of course? Ramos scored plenty in qualification, he missed a couple as well. Um, Murata, of course, scored a penalty at home to Sweden, a Group E um, opposition in uh, qualification. Another snub is uh, Igo Aspas, who, who's got the fourth most assists in the top five leagues, carried Celta Vigo to another great season as well. But again, like many, like many picks for Luis Enrique's 24-man team, is a mystery. Sweden have retained Jana Andersson as their manager. Obviously, their exploits in the 2018 World Cup not going unnoticed with the Swedish FA as Sweden continue in a very tight-knit Unit. You've got Robin Olsen in goal. You've got Victor Lindelof in the back with Andreas Granqvist, Emil Forsberg, Andre, Alexander Isaac, Dejan Kulazewski. The latter two are fresher names from in the uh, 2018 World Cup and come off the back of some uh, pretty decent seasons for their clubs, Real Sociedad and Juventus, respectively. Sweden, like Spain, qualified from the same group thanks to Norway and Romania taking points off each other most notable of which the draw in October 2019, which meant Sweden would progress with a game to spare. Marcus Berg and Robin Quaison got the goals in Bucharest to confirm qualification in second place. Sweden didn't beat Norway in the group with two draws there, whilst Spain took four off them, which was the difference between Sweden finishing second and first. But regardless, it's an automatic qualification from Sweden. As we discussed yesterday, Sweden were relegated from the Nations League and... Uh, only winning one game from the six, that one game coming against Croatia. And it wasn't enough because they would lose to France late on in the day on the final game. It meant that they went down to head-to-head goal difference. And as a result, Sweden will play in League B in the 2022-23 Nations League tournament, which we're all looking forward to, aren't we? So Spain, uh, Sweden rather, they were drawn against Spain again in World Cup qualification, beginning perfectly two wins, non-conceded and the crunch game is next in September in Stockholm. Sweden have had a bit of a checkered history with the European Championships. We all know they got to a, a World Cup final in 1958, a semi-final in 94. They've also got to a semi-final in this tournament as well, not qualifying until 1992 and of course qualifying as hosts because the tournament was hosted in Sweden. They got through beating the likes of Denmark and England in the groups, that fantastic uh, Thomas Brolin goal against England to uh, knock England out, but they would fall to the world champions in Germany in the semi-finals, taking them all the way, really, losing 3-2 there. They've only been back to the knockout phase once, though, and that was in 2004 after drawing to Italy and Denmark in perhaps a pact of aggression. Perhaps not. But they did thrash Bulgaria. Henrik Larsson's diving ahead of the uh, prevailing image from that one, but they would go out to the Netherlands on penalties, losing 5-4 in the quarterfinals. That is in and amongst group stage exits in 2000 to likes of Italy and Turkey, 2008 to likes of Spain and Russia, 
England and France in 2012, and they finished bottom of the pile, only getting one point from the likes of Ireland, Sweden, uh, Ireland, Belgium, and Italy. Jana Anderson remains from the 2018 World Cup, and he's still wedded to the 4-4-2, which is pretty traditional still in Scandinavia. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is the big name missing. He had returned. He made this grand return to international duty for the match internationals, but he has since been ruled out injured. So, Sweden have the most players over 30. They've got one of the oldest squads at the tournament. They've got 11 players over 30. Robin Olsen has been spectacular in his nation's shirt, particularly against Spain at home in the uh, qualifiers for this tournament, so you'll be hoping for a repeat of that. He's uh, shooing for number one. The back four is pretty much... Likewise, you've got Mikael Lustig, Victor Lindelof, Andreas Granqvist might not play, but you've equally got Philip Hollander and Pontus Janssen, both good options come off the bench. A bit like Denmark, really, they've got pretty good options coming off um, the bench in terms of centre-halves. Ludwig Augustinsson will play left-back as well. Sweden are very, traditionally, they're very hard to break down. They proved that against Sweden against Spain in qualification. They were pretty vulnerable in uh, in Norway from crosses out wide, but with uh, Lindelof and Granqvist, they'll uh, fancy the chances against uh, anybody here, really, really. And at um, on the flanks, you've got Victor Klaassen, who's pretty much a shoo-in from... Uh, from out wide, he can score. He's got the patience when he's out wide to pick out a, uh, a man in the middle as well. Dejan Kulisevsky could play centrally, could play out on the right ahead of Sebastian Larsson, the uh, more senior name, but Kulisevsky probably will play on the right end of this season with Juventus pretty well, to be fair. Um, Albin Ekdal will return after missing the, qual- the qualifiers for the World Cup, and he's the more defensively minded of the midfielders alongside Klassen, Kulisevsky and RB Leipzig's Emil Forsberg, who is one of the pivotal attackers for Sweden. Now he can go into a number 10 role, he can drop a bit deeper. And up front, we seem to have Alexander Izak, who's coming off an absolutely storming season for um, for Real Sociedad. And his partner could be any one of two, really. And Robin Quaison, he's he was in fantastic form towards the start of the season in the Bundesliga. Meanwhile, you've got the more experienced head of Marcus Berg in there as well. Their main rival for second place, or rather third place maybe, is Poland. And the manager, Paolo Souza only took over in January and has only had three competitive games. This came from the Robert Lewandowski falling out with the former coach in Berzacek. Lewandowski, of course, one of the key players alongside uh, fellow striker Arkadiusz Milik. You've got Mateusz Klik in there, Piotr Zielinski, Kamil Glik, Wojciech Czesny. And Poland were gifted... On the face of it, a relatively easy qualification group. They dropped just four points against North Macedonia and Slovenia. Lewandowski scored six of their 18 goals in qualification and um, shows how integral he is, obviously, because he's one of the, if not the best, number nine in world football. Poland had to stave off relegation, though, to uh, Nations League B because the uh, one home and away against Bosnia was enough to uh, stave off relegation in that one. But they... Went into the World Cup qualification, perhaps not with the greatest of uh, greatest of morale. They'd lost the manager. They'd lost um, just off, just nearly survived uh, relegation there. Um, but they've got the hardest World Cup qualification fixtures out of the way: Hungary and England, both away from home, and escaped with four points, combined with a win at home against Andorra. And the biggest game of their qualification campaign will be against England, where they host in uh, Poland in September. 
Now, Poland didn't qualify for a European Championships, despite a couple of semi-finals in the World Cup in the 70s and 80s. They didn't qualify for the Euros until 2008. And in that instance, they, like Austria, who were also making their debut in the same group, went out with just one point, and that was with each other. Um, a 1-1 draw in the second match day in a sodden Vienna. They wouldn't go one better, or at least they would in terms of their points. Tally four years on after getting a draw against Greece, after getting a draw against Russia on home soil. But a what was what I recall a shock 1-0 loss to Czech Republic on the final match day sealed their fate with another group stage exit. Poland would finally make the quarterfinals. They'd finally make a knockout phase four years on beating Northern Ireland 1-0, beating Ukraine 1-0. Holding Germany 0-0, a uh, much-changed Germany there, but it was a tale of two penalty shootouts for Poland in the knockout phase. They beat Switzerland 5-4, Jordan Shakiri scoring an absolute insane overhead kick in that one, and they would lose 5-3 to Portugal in the quarterfinals. For more on that alternate, alternate history, check out a what-if later on in the tournament. So it's hard to tell how Poland will shape up, who the personnel will be, because it it will only be Paolo Souza's fourth competitive game in charge when he uh, leads his side out at the Euros. Uh, they've only played three games. And um, his predecessor, Jerzy Berzicek, played a 4-4-2. Maybe it's not viable with uh, Christoph Piontek ruled out for injury. They do fold into a 3-4-1-2 in possession. So Kamil Joswiak going to right wing back. Um, Bartosz Berzinski um, going from right back to right centre back. That could be an option going forward as well. Um, they do own the youngest player at the tournament with Kasper Kozlowski at 17 years and eight months. Y- younger even than uh, Jude Bellingham, but nobody else talks about it, do they? Wojciech Chesney is the uh, preferred option in goal for Palos, who's, although, admittedly, Lukas Fabianski is a reliable backup waiting in the wings. In terms of centre-halves... Jan Bednarek has had um, a fantastic first half of the season for Southampton. Slightly went downhill after his red card against Manchester United in that 9-0 that we're not going to talk about. And uh, Kamil Glick is a, a partner in defence who uh, they both partnered each other in the 2018 World Cup. Um, not really successful in that tournament, but the two good, solid defenders there. They do play defensively deep. Berezinski can play centre-back and it's probably because of that. And it could be wiser to do a 3-4-1-2 fold back into that with Berzinski at centre-half. Magic Rebus, um, Sampdoria's own, uh, he can play full-back, he can play wing-back, so this fourth, this 3-4-1-2 is perfectly viable without changing too much, without changing any of the uh, personnel, really, from a 4-4-2 into a 3-4-1-2. They do press in short bursts, and that's because of the the names they've got. Jakob Murder could also play left wing-back, Is uh Tactically flexible, he must be because he plays for Brighton and they're very ta- tactically flexible. You've got Piotr Zielinski also on the left, who's a bit more of an attacking uh, outlet there for Poland. Also, Kamil Joswiak, we could play right wing back, he could play he could play right back as well. But he um, in this 4 4 2, we'll play right wing. Uh, Zielinski, if it is a 3 4 1 2, will drift into the middle and uh, act as a number 10 behind Robert Lewandowski and Arkadiusz Milik, the main men up front for Poland in a 4-4-2, or in a 3-4-1-2, really. And in terms of central midfield, Gregor Krzysztof is nailed on as any other player, really, for Poland outside of Lewandowski and uh, Milik Bednarek as well, perhaps, as well. And Jakub Murder could get a uh, start in the midfield as well. They do... 
go for crosses a lot more than some other teams, Lewandowski and Milik, two very tall, two very uh, strong centre-forwards and it's no wonder they go for that option because it's their best way, best method of uh, grabbing goals. Josviak's delivery is fantastic. He can also pop up and finish in good areas too. And that will be uh, a good course of action against a defensively-minded team that is like Slovakia, the fourth team in this fifth group of the European Championships. Stefan Tarkovic was parachuted in as Slovakia manager in between qualification playoffs and his first game was the huge final against Northern Ireland to qualify for this tournament. Household names, you'll remember Dubravka in net. You'll remember Milan Skriniar, uh, centre-half for Inter Milan. Marek Hamsik, um, a central midfielder, of course, and... Vladimir Weiss, you've got Robert Mack, you've got Lobotchka, you've got Bozinek up front as well. Slovakia missed out on the final day thanks to Wales winning 2-0 in Cardiff over Hungary. This meant the playoffs are not automatic qualification that a draw would have brought. Slovakia's one win from a from four games in a three-team group in the UEFA Nations League against uh, Ukraine, against Czech Republic, was enough to grant them this playoff place. And in... Um, Two tales of extra time as quite attritional the Nations League games were last last winter, last autumn. And two tales of Irish teams as well. Uh, they squeezed through Ireland through the virtual penalties in Bratislava and when it looked like a Milan Skriniar own goal would send them to another penalty shot against Northern Ireland, Makal Darus got the winning goal to send Slovakia two successive um, European Championships, obviously after the performance in 2016. Slovakia would then escape relegation owing to the uh, UEFA Nations League revamp in 2018, but they did not escape it in 2020. Four points from six games, including a win against Scotland and a draw against Israel, weren't enough, and they will play League C football when the Nations League comes back next year. They've started the World Cup qualification campaign undefeated, but have drawn disappointingly against Malta and Cyprus, but they have beaten Russia, so it's been kind of uh, a bizarre opening to that World Cup in a, in a bizarre season really so it's, there is an asterisk against that. In terms of um, their European Championships history they were of course part of the uh, Czech Republic, the Czechoslovakia in um, 1976 when they won the tournament but their history is uh, divergent with the Czech Republic's because they hold, Czech Republic hold the records according to UEFA. So by the official numbers Slovakia's only European Championship was in 2016 when they reached the last 16 after beating Russia in the pretty much an all-or-nothing tie, getting a point against England as well. And um, they would be beaten by Germany in the last 16. In terms of how they'll play, it's more of a 4-2-3-1. You've got Martin Dubravka in net. Peter Pekarik, a uh, very experienced 34-year-old, comes into the tournament a fresh centurion, making his, winning his 100th cap recently. Milan Skriniar is um, the star man in defence. The defence has been caught shaky, a little bit under pressure. Of course, the own goal, they almost lost qualification at the uh, at the death there to Northern Ireland. They were caught wanting and a bit too spread out against uh, the Republic of Ireland in the playoffs. Um, the defence parted like the Red Sea for Lyndon Dykes in the Nations League game against Scotland. They can be found out over the top and down the channels. They can be found out long they are one of the weaker teams at the tournament and um, their best player, still their best player, captain, is ageing, but he moved to Sweden from China 
just so he could get fitness. And it's Marek Hamšík, him alongside Lobotka in this uh, central midfield with Vladimir Weiss at right wing, or Kuchka, who's got a fantastic goal in qualification for Wales, are um, options out wide. Also, you've got Robert Mack, the 30-year-old Frank Varos winger. Um, he's got 14 goals for his national team. Andre Duda is one of their linchpins as a number 10 alternatively. Could drop a little bit deeper as a number 8. And um, the youthful Robert Brozinek, 21-year-old of Feyenoord. It is a... It could easily be a potent front line with uh, Duda and Hamsik um, supplying Mac and Bozinek. Kuchka could easily uh, burst forward if he does play on that right wing um, and finish simply scored against uh, Northern Ireland in the playoff as well. After this short break, we will be looking at our third 2021 trivial teaser and, of course, previewing Group F. Welcome back. We are back with a 2021 trivial teaser. And if you've been listening to the Euro Daily podcast or listen to the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast, you'll know the format. Two managers, five teammates, a position. And out of that, you'll get an answer. Well done to those of you yesterday who got Leonardo Bonucci correct. And today we are looking for a striker. A striker who has been managed by Jurgen Klopp. He's been managed by Roy Hodgson. Some of his teammates have been Joe Cole, Jack Grealish, Wilfred Zaha, Ron Vlaar. Julian Speroni, I'll give you another clue, he is of course a Premier League footballer, but who is he? He's a play, played as a striker underneath Jurgen Klopp, underneath Roy Hodgson. He's played alongside Jack Grealish, Joe Cole, Wilfred Zaha, Ron Vlaar and Julian Speroni. I'll give you the answer on Euro Daily 4 tomorrow and after this short break, we're going to Group F, to the, to the group of death. <laughs> So welcome back. We'll start with the world champions. Why not? Didier Deschamps is still France's manager. Deschamps looking to be the first person to play and manage a winning World Cup and a winning Euros side after winning in 1998, 2018 and 2000, those particular competitions. The main players still remain from 2018. Hugo Lloris in net, Raphael Varane in defence, Pogba, Kante in midfield, Mbappe and Antoine Griezmann up front and of course we have the returning name, the new face around the place, Karim Benzema. Now since winning the World Cup, France have been quiet, they've been ominous. They lost to Turkey early on in qualification, continuing the, uh, what is a traditional World Cup winning hangover really, and would drop points at home to Turkey, but wrestled back control of the group with a win against Moldova. They would win home and away against the other four teams and qualification was easily assured late on and top spot was snatched, making them top seeds. They will appear at the Nations League finals in October, only dropping points at home to Portugal and wouldn't concede in the two games against Portugal. So perhaps that's an omen for the uh, for the Group F contest this summer. They've been steady again in the World Cup qualifications, winning in Bosnia, winning in Kazakhstan. Did draw at home to Ukraine, but in terms of COVID season and having an asterisk against it, particularly for that March internationals, we can draw that conclusion as well. Although if France play Ukraine in the last 16, it will be very, very interesting to say the least. Now, of course, France have a much heralded European Championships history. They have two winners' medals to their name. Michel Platini's inspired nine-goal 1984 tournament where he scored back-to-back hat-tricks against Belgium and Yugoslavia. Scored the winner against Portugal after extra time in the semi-final, of course. Got the ball rolling against Spain in 
the final in a 2-0 win in Paris. France's first European Championships was the first ever edition and they played in the first ever European Championships match, a 5-4 defeat to Yugoslavia in a tournament where they finished rock bottom or fourth really if you look at it really uh, losing to Czechoslovakia in a playoff they wouldn't return um, until 1984 and after that was 1992's group stage exit Jean-Pierre Papin etc losing to the likes of Denmark in the final game obviously they would uh, a youthful French side would bow out of the semi-finals of the Euros at Euro 96 losing to Czech Republic 6-5 on uh, in the penalty shootout at Old Trafford, but they would be back four years later via a World Cup win, of course, on home soil. They would beat Denmark, they would beat Czech Republic to get to the uh, to get to the knockout phase, and via a long list of omens linked inextricably to Michel Platini, they would beat Portugal after extra time with a, a talismanic player scoring the winner, Zinedine Zidane. They would beat Spain with a talismanic goal from uh, Zinedine Zidane, and they would beat. Italy in a golden goal. David Trezeguet, the only thing that didn't really point tonight in 84 as it were. 2002's group stage exit in the World Cup was mirrored in 2008, losing to Italy in the Netherlands, but they have oscillated between quarterfinal exits to Greece and Spain in 2004 and 2012. And of course, on home soil again, it was supposed to be like 1984 and 2016. But after beating Ireland, Iceland and Germany in the knockout phase, they went down to Edda and a shock 1-0 win, 1-0 defeat against Portugal in the Stade de France. Now, of course, the headlines for this tournament have been surrounding Karim Benzema's shock return. Could upset the apple cap or he could complete them. You know, the France team's, it's a 4-2-3-1 or it's a lopsided 4-2-3-1, which makes it a 4-3-1-2, I guess, or a diamond. Griezmann would be behind Mbappe and um, Giroud or Benzema. And um, you've got the likes of Paul Pogba and Kante and one of um, Rabiot in there. Rabiot probably uh, take up that mantle alongside Kante or even drift wide with Pogba and Kante in the double pivot. Um, they used a 4-3-3 as well and that could easily be seen with uh, Griezmann dropping to the right and Mbappe on the left and one of Giroud and Benzema through the middle but it is likely to be this 4-3-1-2 or a diamond or a Fourth, four, two, three, one, lopsided shape. Um, it's quite fluid and quite flexible. Probably why uh, they were very successful in Russia. They don't have any players twenty-one or under. Mbappe is still the youngest player of the squad, really. So it's still, it's kind of like for like from the World Cup winning squad, which could be a good thing, could be a bad thing as well. Hugo Lloris is in net, the captain of the uh, previous World Cup triumph. Benjamin Pavard will play at right back with Leo Dubois of Leon, a more than good backup to him. Rafael Varane and Presnel Kimpembe will make up the centre-back partnerships with Clement Longley, of course, waiting in the wings there. Although you kind of have to figure it'd be Rafael Varane or Kimpembe. Luca Hernandez or Luca Dean, alternatively, could play on the uh, left-back role with, um, as we say, Pogba, Kante, Rabiot in the midfield three. Griezmann playing slightly ahead of them in a number 10. Rabiot or Pogba will be uh, entrusted to pull off to the side the right or the left, and um, playing more of a uh, more of a four two three one. Mbappe will play off the left more often than not. With uh, it looks as like Olivier Giroud is relegated to the bench with Karim Benzema. Although they could share the responsibilities quite evenly. Griezmann will pull the strings. He'll 
play he'll probably float across quite laterally really but he's more likely going to be around the Mbappe area on the left and um Mbappe will work that left channel as he does for PSG so fantastically and he will be one of the players of the tournament. I've got no doubt about that. Alternatively, you do have Kingsley Coman who can play on the left, he can play on the right and he's been favoured to play on the right instead of uh, Adrian Rabiot, for example, in a more traditional 4-2-3-1 but we will see when the tournament comes around. Now on to Germany who are looking to bounce back from the 2018 World Cup disappointment and the Nations League disappointment really. Jürgen Löw, it will be his final stand as German manager after announcing his departure in March. Some players are back such as Mats Hummels, Thomas Muller, but some names remain and have remained a constant. Manuel Neuer for example, you've got the experience of Tony Kroos, you've also got the uh, youth and the experience, even the experience because they've won the treble in the past few past few years of Kimmich, Grzeska and Serge Gnabry also throwing Timo Werner there as one of their key players. Germany pretty much sailed through to the uh, European Championships despite holding that inferior head-to-head record with the Netherlands and um, that counted for nothing really after the Netherlands drew in uh, Belfast with Northern Ireland. Meanwhile Germany were immaculate against Northern Ireland, Belarus and Estonia. They'd go through as top and would be top seeds. That will be a curse rather than a blessing as we've seen the Netherlands drawn with Ukraine, Austria and North Macedonia in their group. Meanwhile, Germany have been fed quite possibly one of the worst groups of all time. They followed that qualification, that easy qualification up with a shocking 6-0 defeat against Spain. And it got to the point where Love was um, being pushed rather than uh, jump rather than pushed really. And he was under this immense pressure and finally bowed to it. Earlier this year, he'll leave for Hansi Flick, who was the assistant for the 2014 World Cup win. The send-off didn't begin well. Uh, we covered this yesterday. They, they lost at home to North Macedonian World Cup qualification. They would win the other two, um, but they are third in that group behind Armenia and North Macedonia. But you'd expect them to have a good second half of it and qualify for the tournament next year. Germany had a fantastic start to their European Championships history. They played in three European Championships between 72, 76 and 80, their first three European Championships and got to all three finals, winning the first in 72 thanks to Gerd Muller against uh, the Soviet Union, winning the second in 1980 thanks to two goals from Horst Rubrecht against Belgium. But the one in, mid- in the middle was perhaps the most famous of the lot, a loss against Czechoslovakia, the Penenka penalty, we all know the rest, they would lose 5-3 on penalties. In spite of Germany then transferring those finals appearances to the World Cup in 82, 86 and 90, they wouldn't be, they'd be found sort of lacking really the, the Euros. They'd bow out of the groups to uh, Portugal and Spain in 84. They would uh, go close at home in 1988, but would lose to the eventual winners in the Netherlands. And in 1992, return to the final, but would be beaten by Denmark, the fantastic Denmark team, Kim Vilfort, John Jensen and return to the final four years later it was a domination of uh, European football really it was it was looking going to turn to that although Bertie Votes had his um, had his fears about the strength in depth going forward they would win their third European championships and as a result are the, sec- are the uh, joint most decorated team in terms of the tournament after Olivia Behoff's double against Czech Republic at Wembley of course Spain are the uh, other team with three Euros titles to their name 
the 21st century didn't begin so greatly as we covered on the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast, the last episode before the summer break there. The group stage exits to England, Portugal, Romania in 2000, to the Netherlands, Czech Republic and Latvia in 2004, um, in between a World Cup final appearance in 2002, but they would return to familiar surroundings in 2008 reaching the final again and have continued a bit of a trend where they always make the top four. Obviously that was cut in 2018, but their last final it remains a 1-0 defeat to Spain, courtesy of Fernando Torres in Vienna. Now, Jogi Löw has returned some key names from the 2014 triumph in Mats Hummels and Thomas Muller. He's uh, jumped before he could be pushed, but he's he's uh, given it a bit of a, the mood a bit of a lift in that uh, this is going to be his swan song, so he's uh, hoping to go out on a high. FA president Reinhard Grendel has also left and Germany's been pretty much they come, trying to come off the back of what was quite a year of turmoil in 2020. They're likely to play a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 if Thomas Muller plays as well, um, but they have experimented with three at the back. Manuel Neuer will become a centurion at the tournament, um, injuries permitting of course. Um, at right back, this is where... Germany have a little strength in depth problem. You've got Lukas Klosterman of uh, RB Leipzig at right back. At left back, you could play Marcel Halstenberg, of course. Klosterman and Halstenberg can also play centre halves in a three as well. Um, Robin Gersens is a lot more offensive as a left back, more like a left wing back as he is for his club Atalanta. But since Philip Lahm's retired, um, Germany haven't really had anything out wide defensively. In terms of uh, centre half, They've got Mats Hummels, they've got Antonio Rudi, who's had an absolutely fantastic end to the season with Chelsea. You've also got Mateus Ginter, you've got Nicolas Sula, and also Klosterman Halsenberg, as previously mentioned in there, which is probably why Love went for three at the back, really, because of the glut of talent in the middle, but out wide, not so much. Although I would plump for Robin Gersens and Klosterman out wide with Hummels and Rudiger in the middle. Sula can play at the right, but... I, I'm not entirely convinced by him on the right, I have to say, really. Ginter could also play wide as well. Again, not as convincing as Klosterman and Halsenberg and Gosens. And in midfield, I'd expect a Bayern Munich midfield, essentially. Uh, Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich enjoyed fantastic uh, couple of years together, especially last season where they won the treble, of course. Uh, Tony Kroos could be the experienced option if you want to go to a three alternatively. Ilkay Gundian has had a superb season for Man City, of course, winning the league and League Cup double. Could have been a quadruple, but there we are. Um, he was their top scorer as well, let's not forget. But I am pushing for Kimmich, who is one of Germany's key players, and um, partnering with him with Goretzka, who is his club teammate, so there's that familiarity there. And Thomas Muller, if he's returning, he has to start. It just makes sense. It's logical. And um, that three there, with a 4-2-3-1, really... Um, the familiarity that they will have with each other, especially with Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry out wide, which I'm expecting them to do, it just makes it more like a club setup, really, and surely that's got to be a good thing. Up front, though, essentially it won't be a club affair, really, because Lewandowski, you know, is, is Polish, isn't he? So Timo Werner is the one I'd plump for. Obviously, don't be surprised if Kai Havertz starts up there as well. Alternatively, in a three at the back, they could play Timo Werner off Kai Havertz. I don't know where that leaves Sané and Gnabry, but there we are. There are in a three-five-two. It could easily be Sané and Gnabry. It could easily be Werner and Havertz, and let's not forget Kevin Volland as well. They do flood numbers forward. They play this traditionally high line, this Bundesliga high line. Havertz will drift to the right 
Werner will drift to the left. So there's differences there in the approach, depending on who they play centrally there. And of course, Sané and Gnabry, adept at playing either side and adept at cutting in from either side as well. And probably, in terms of wingers, best two you could probably have for a, uh, a tournament, really. And the third name in this group of deaf is, of course, Portugal. Last but by no means least, of course, outside Hungary, who we're not discounting at all. Portugal, of course, are the defending champions under manager Fernando Santos, whose uh, contract runs out at the end of next year with the World Cup. Now, a lot of their players have endured fantastic seasons. You've got Ruben Dias and João Cancelo and Bernardo Silva for Manchester City, Bruno Fernandes for Manchester United, of course, Pepe, Joseph Font, um, league winner in France, of course. Rui Patricio, they've also got Diego Jota. João Felix, but of course you have to say the number one man around the town is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Portugal were perhaps, despite all of this and despite the uh, being champions of the of Europe in 2016, were the biggest name closest to the dreaded playoffs. They needed to match Serbia's result on the final game of the uh, of qualification, Serbia would draw 2-2 with uh, with Ukraine and Portugal won in Luxembourg to qualify. They wouldn't be seeded because Ukraine finished first, they were second, and as a result, here we are, Portugal facing the group of death when they could have had the Netherlands, North Macedonia and Austria. But those are what-if scenarios for the old YouTube there. In perhaps a bad omen, they failed to score against France, and um, that put pay to their Nations League defence as well, because France would qualify for the finals to be played in um, October. They would start the qualification for the World Cup better than they did the Euros. They got seven points from three, drawing to Serbia again. Um, but they would beat Luxembourg and Azerbaijan, the two whipping boys of the group. Although Luxembourg have had a, a fairly decent start to that as well. In terms of the European Championships history for Portugal, they qualified for one tournament before the 90s. And that was the Michel Platini inspired defeat for France against Portugal in Paris. They would reach the... 1996 quarterfinals, going out to Czech Republic and have always escaped the group stages, which is a good omen really, but historically does it really matter? They lost to Czech Republic in the 96 quarterfinal, again were undone after extra time by France in a semi-final in 2000. Of course, we all know the story of 2004 and Greece. Germany had their number in 2008 quarterfinal, Spain knocked them out on penalties, Revenge on England's behalf from 2004 and, uh, of course, in 2016. Despite winning one game of football inside 90 minutes, as I like to often say on this channel, <laughs> uh, Portugal won the whole thing, drawing against Iceland, drawing against Austria, drawing against Hungary to finish third in the group, being gifted Croatia, winning after extra time, beating Poland on penalties, beating Wales in normal time and, of course, Eder's goal against France, giving Portugal their first ever major trophy. You could say their only major trophy, but let's see how the Nation League pans out, shall we? Fernando Santos will doubtless play a 4-3-3-4-2-3 hybrid. Depends how, how high he lets Bruno Fernandes go up the field, really. And they've played this way for quite some time. They've got nine Premier League players. Would have been ten, but Pedro Neto misses out through injury. They've got the most capped and high-scoring player at the Euros, and it's all encapsulated inside one man. Cristiano Ronaldo has got almost 175 games to his name as Portugal manager and he will be chasing down that that um, international goal record and he's some way off it is just I think it's five or six now um, anyway so the back line is pretty much settled you've got Rafael Guerrero who's um, at left back quite offensively done um, 
left back really same with Jao Cancelo but the centre halves are more than adept at um, solidifying things you've got Jose Font or Pepe which will uh, partner Ruben Diaz Pepe or Font it, it doesn't matter too much Pepe is a bit more aggressive obviously goes without saying um, but uh, Font's coming off the back of a fantastic season but I do expect Pepe to partner Diaz because Font I think is carrying a bit of a knock obviously it goes without saying Rui Patricio will start in net for Portugal but in terms of a defence there's not too many better than that Nelson Semedo is a good backup for Cancelo and there's not even any place for uh, Ricardo Pereira of Leicester City Nuno Mendes on the left alternatively is a very exciting young backup the Sporting Lisbon left back who looks like he's on his way to Manchester City from Sporting Lisbon in the central midfield it looks pretty much nailed on Bruno Fernandes his form demands that he plays um, Danilo Pereira has been fantastic for PSG and alternatively um, as well as sorry William Carvalho in uh, the base of that midfield it's pretty much as solid as a midfield you're ever going to get really the likes of Denmark Croatia etc I've got similarly solid midfield and those midfields are very familiar with each other they played as a three most of the way through qualification and even coming off the bench you've got Renato Sanchez who just won a league with Lille he's uh, more than an apt backup for for Danilo, you've got Yao Moutinho to add a bit of experience in there. Ruben Neves, of course, more than apt backups for um, to rotate against Hungary, perhaps. Um, right wing is probably the only um, the only uh, left wing rather is the only sort of debatable point. Really, you've got Jao Felix and you've or you've got Diogo Jota. Form says Jota, but uh, Felix was preferred in the qualifiers, and it's really a flip of the coin, really. Quite um, similar players, and Jota can uh, score some headed goals in the uh, qualifiers, which is seen against uh, Serbia in March. And of course, at right wing, it's got to be Bernardo Silva, really, hasn't it? Cuts in there for his club's team, he's more than suitable. He's one of uh, Portugal's most important players, behind, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo up front. It can only be him, and that's containing a team which got Andre Silva in it, who scored the fourth most goals in Europe with 28 for Frankfurt this season. Of course, Cristiano Ronaldo is third with 29 goals, so he had to get that one more goal, didn't he? Um, that just shows how dedicated he is, and I can't tell you anything you don't already know about Cristiano Ronaldo, and he will start, he will score goals, and he will become the only player to play in five European championships this summer. Now, let's not forget Hungary, the 24th and final team that we've previewed over the last three days. The manager is Marco Rossi. Your key players are Vili Orban and Peter Glashy, the uh, RB Leipzig double act. You've got Adam Slazai, Roland Shalai, and unfortunately, I would have included him here, but he's been ruled out of injury. Dominic Shabozlai, and it looks as though Hungary's faint hope of reaching the, the last 16 has now gone with that injury. Hungary finished on the lowest number of points for a qualifier, the lowest position of a qualifier as well, finishing fourth, winning one, winning four, losing four. Obviously, they qualified because of their Nations League promotion to League B, which was second only behind Finland there. They were drawn into the toughest, toughest path. They won in Sofia against a relatively weak Bulgaria team that were pretty much thrashed against uh, French by England, Czech, Czech Republic and even Kosovo, really. But in the final, they turned it around against Iceland. Dominic Shabozlai, the uh, absentee for this summer, scoring a 92nd minute winner against Iceland, uh, 2-1 in the end it was, and Hungary qualified. They would win a successive promotion to the Nations League 
Um, the first time that's happened in the the tournament's storied history uh, with a 2-0 win over Turkey a month after qualification for the Euros. Now, they started the World Cup qualification off very well, uh, drawing it home to Poland, which is their main qualification rival, really, if they're to go to a first World Cup since 1986. And they won at Andorra and San Marino, of course, the return fixture in Poland and the matches against England. We'll see if they make the World Cup or not, but they're guaranteed via their Nations League performance to be in a playoff, no matter what happens. Now, in the early days of the European Championships, Hungary were kind of at the forefront. This was well after the magical Magyars, well before the the current times. But 1964-1972, they've got into the tournament. They got into the semi-finals. Obviously, this time it was still a four-team tournament. They would lose to Spain, the eventual winners, after extra time, and they would lose to the Soviet Union. And in the 1972 final, just one nil. Would win the playoff in '64, lost the lost the playoff in '72, so two top four finishes and wouldn't qualify again until the tournament was expanded from four to eight to sixteen to twenty-four teams in 2016, where a win against Austria in the opening day really set the cat among the pigeons. Uh, Austria was considered to be dark horses, maybe even win the group ahead of Portugal. Instead, they would finish um, two points behind Portugal, and that might sound good, but Austria had one point, Portugal had three. Hungary tops the group with five points and uh, were drawn Belgium, unfortunately, really. Um, they were going to draw Italy or Belgium, really, and finishing top of Group F, and they got thrashed 4-0. So, the plan seems to have changed in terms of what Hungary are going to line up with. They seem to have played a tight-knit 4-2-3-1, and they tend to now be in a 3-5-2, although that could change with Shabozlai's injury. You have got Peter Galassier in goal, Vili Orban, at the uh, right side of centre, of the right side of a three, which is uh, pretty much nailed on. They've got the chemistry from Leipzig if you're going to play Ultimate Team, which I don't. Um, Atilia, Slazai and Atilia Fiole will make up that three. Alternatively, you've got Adam Lang and Endre Bochka um, waiting in the wings to uh, take up any one of those positions. Um, Giorgio Lovrenchisk will play at right wing back. Alternatively, on the left-hand side, you have got Philip Holland, who looks a shoo-in now after Sylvester's hang Yaz. Injury ruled him out, unfortunately, of the tournament, and Hungary, like so many of us, have been uh, docked by uh, withdrawals, really, most notably, which you've got the likes of Scotland, England, and uh, Ukraine. They're not too organised at the back, despite the uh, partnership with Orban and Galashki, Shlazai in the middle of the uh, defence there, uh, at least from what I've seen in matches against Wales in qualification. They're pretty good at attacking set pieces. Orban's got an absolute head on him. Sniper's dream. Um, he's a fantastic defender anyway, one of the best in the Bundesliga outside of uh, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. In the midfield, you have Klein Heisler, who will... Uh, play alongside Adam Newey, they'll have to find a replacement for Shabozlai, who would have been that number 10. And um, in terms of up front, you've got Adam Schlazai, the uh, captain for Hungary, and Roland Salai, who are pretty much made for each other. You've got Schlazai, who will run well into the channels, which means long punts down the channel, long balls could work, especially since they'll be on the back foot, won't they? Uh, they're very, he's very strong, he can hold the ball up well. And... Um, Roland Shalai is also good in the channels, great on the counter-attack as well. So they have got that going for them at least. Um, against They've got nothing to lose. They're not expected to do anything. And if they're good on the counter-attack and they can run into those channels, Shalai and Shalai, then um, why not 
they just need to find a replacement for Shabozlai. And if Shabozlai was there, I could have given them a chance to get take a point off Germany or Portugal or even France. But it just it's just that nail in the coffin, really, which is unfortunate because Hungary are a, a, a great footballing nation historically. And um, they did very well last time out. Thank you for listening to the third episode of the Euro Daily Podcast. We'll be back tomorrow continuing this preview and we will give you our predictions for the tournament. Now, if you've watched the team previews on the YouTube channel, they might be slightly different. I did make those predictions some time ago in production for the video, i.e. Turkey, which I know a couple of you weren't too sure about me putting them in fourth place. I'm sort of flitting, it's still flitting between that in my mind now but uh, we'll be back tomorrow with the predictions for the tournament thank you for listening thank you for your continued support on youtube on patreon of course on on the uh, podcast feed apple spotify amazon and uh, the other one acast um, thank you for listening we'll see you tomorrow up the lions up the three lions there uh. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.